Hello and welcome to the award-winning Canine Hoopers World podcast. Everyone's invited. Hello everybody and welcome to another episode of season four of Canine Hoopers World the podcast. Now I'm over in America this year, this episode, and I'm so excited because I have the wonderful Michael Chikasha. Michael, hi, how are you? I'm doing well, Carrie. Thanks for having me. I'm honestly, I'm like, yay, this is going to be a good episode. I'm excited about this one because um, you do a lot of podcasts. So I'm really appreciative of you coming on to this little podcast over here. But for people that don't know you, I mean, if you've been on Facebook in the last year, you'll probably have heard the name. But people that don't know you, who are you and what do you do? Yeah, thanks for the opportunity. Um, so I run aggressivedog.com. So I'm sure if you hear the name of that website, you probably have an idea what I focus on, which is working with dogs and helping dogs that have aggression issues. So I've been kind of working and training with dogs about the last two decades or a little over 20 years now. And mm-hmm. I started out kind of taking on everything and started to shift towards just aggression cases because I loved it. And uh, which sounds strange, but I found that helping dogs with aggression issues was the best way to help them avoid other outcomes that can be often very negative for them. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, I thought for, for me, the best way I could help dogs was to learn about helping you know dogs with aggression issues. So here I am today now just recording podcasts. Amazing. <laughs> you do dogs. much more than recording podcasts. So you have um, an education program for instructors. I do. Yeah. I uh, run um, not only the aggression and dogs master course, but I run a yearly conference for aggression, you know, on the topic of aggression. Mm -hmm. I host other speakers for webinars. And so, yeah, I like to not only just focus on what I have to teach, but, you know, anybody that is is teaching about aggression or spreading information about helping dogs with aggression issues Mm -hmm. uh, from a positive reinforcement based perspective. Um, yeah, so I've had a lot of fun collaborating with different people over the last few years and, um, and also finding these little, you know, gems that we can, we don't sometimes learn about until, uh, we, you know, get them on a podcast or get them in Mm -hmm. a conference or get a webinar. So that's been also very rewarding for me is getting to learn about other speakers and these little inside insights that we might not hear about. So yeah, lots of, lots of good stuff happening for dogs with aggression issues over the last few years. Excellent, because I think aggression is one of those, it's a label, isn't it, that gets used a lot. And in my experience, aggression isn't always what we kind of think of. Like if you open the dictionary and read what aggression is as the dictionary term of it, what we're actually seeing in dogs isn't generally that they want to be aggressive and they are having fun being, and there are those examples of dogs that, just want to have a row with something because you know it's fun but what's your kind of take on that with the aggression label being so widely kind of flung around at everything at the moment yeah I think it's um because it's sometimes an easy way to describe behavior if somebody's not sure what's going on it's kind of also a loaded term you know it can have negative connotations Mm -hmm. but for me you know aggression is not a bad thing in, in the way like it's like a you know, we might label somebody as nefarious or, uh, you know, being mean or rude, you know, aggression is normal behavior for everyone, every, every mammal, it's, it's, we use aggression to survive when we need to. Mm-hmm. So something scary or threatening, or uh, is trying 
going to take our stuff, you know, you know, you know, we're going to protect our resources or protect our territory, yeah. protect ourselves if we have to. So it's actually normal behavior. So the way I look at it is, is aggression is it's actually behavior. So when I actually, I, you know, of course, my website, it's called aggressive dog, but that's just to, that's because what people search for is that term. Yeah. But really what the, the true way of saying it is aggressive behavior. So the person or the dog is not aggressive. It's their behavior that is just used to make something go away because they're just trying to protect themselves or protect someone they love or protect something they love, you know? So mm -hmm. it's, it's very normal behavior. So, um, and when we look at it that way, yeah, you could describe a lot of different things we see, barking, lunging, growling, snarling, snapping as aggressive, but once you understand why, then it mm -hmm. doesn't matter too much what we call it or what we call a dog. Yeah. Um, you can use other softer labels like reactive or feisty or whatever else you want to do. But as mm -hmm. long as we understand why the dog is displaying those behaviors, then that's what we need to know. So, um, so I try to get my clients focusing on that. Let's, let's think about how the dog's feeling rather than what we're necessarily thinking of the dog in terms of like a personality trait, you know? Yeah. Because I think as well, like I know with um, Dodge, my shepherd, a lot of people would put that, well, he's aggressive label on. And I'm like, actually, he's really scared. And also he's in pain sometimes because of his hips. So yeah. to me, there is fear and maybe not fear. Maybe it's more like nervousness, like unsureness, but also with his breeding, you know, German shepherds are bred to be suspicious and tell you when there is something new or strange in the environment because, you know, shepherds, that's what we kind of do. And it feels like societies, we've bred these dogs and now the jobs for them have changed. Now some of these aggressive, in quotes, you know, behaviours they're showing are actually things that would have been desirable generations ago but now we expect them to live in towns with lots of people and stuff now they're becoming a problem I mean have do you experience that with your clients like they kind of get a breed of dog without maybe doing the best research on it and then go oh it's really barky and you're like uh-huh <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's such a good point Carrie I think we as humans forgot what especially certain breeds of dogs are what we selected for and certain behavioral traits we sometimes forget that hey as humans you know some of our ancestors actually wanted these things these aggressive behaviors mm -hmm. to protect their property or their livestock or things so it's it becomes very strange when suddenly as humans we don't want that in a particular dog and we forget that sometimes you know, and, and that dogs, I think, are one of the most misunderstood in regards to aggression, because if we were like, OK, I've got this pet lion or this pet hyena, mm -hmm. <laughs> we wouldn't or crocodile or whatever it is. And the, that animal bites somebody when somebody threatens the animal where we often like, well, you stupid human, don't do that. <laughs> you know, don't stick your hand into a lion's mouth or try to take a lion's cub away from them or, you know, pet an alligator, mm -hmm. <laughs> right? Where it just, it may would make sense if that animal displays aggression, if yeah. they find that thing's a threat. And whereas dogs have been doing that for just as long, we just have these expectations that they're not going to, they should never do that. And now, of course, dogs are domesticated, and we've obviously helped them understand how to live with humans, and they, mm -hmm. vice versa, are saying learning how to live with humans. But um, sometimes, again, it's forgotten that you know we get just just 
as you mentioned a couple of generations ago, we've had a, a, a livestock guardian dogs are a perfect example. We've had like a great Pyrenees um, and they've been, you know, raised and selected for guarding livestock for many generations. And suddenly just, you know, 10 years later, maybe even from previous generations, we're looking to get a great Pyrenees and stick them in an apartment in, in a big city and expect no barking, no worry about or, or concern about the environment in their inn, where all of their ancestors for sometimes hundreds of years in some of these cases have been, we've asked them to do that. So suddenly we're like, no, you can't do that. Even though all of your ancestors and all the genetics that are involved, we've asked for that. So um, yeah, it's, it's unfortunate that, you know, when we look at aggression or aggressive behaviors, mm -hmm. that it's often misunderstood or we're like so surprised when suddenly that dog bites when it's actually very normal. Again, just like any other animal, we would, we just have, we have our own expectations sort of skewed lenses sometimes. Yeah. And that can get us in trouble sometimes too. I mean, I always say on, I mean, regular listeners and I, I blame Disney for a lot. <laughs> because like Disney gave us that. this real like thing of, oh, look, they're all meant to be lovely. And, you know, like growing up watching, I'm going to like give away my age now, but like Lassie didn't help either. I'm just going to say, um, <laughs> and you kind of go, well, we have this sort of cartoony kind of film-based thing where, you know, there's all these hero dogs in like different shows and programs and stuff. And then we expect our dogs to kind of do the same thing. And it's like, but that's not going to happen. <laughs> it's, and isn't that interesting? I was just thinking the same thing, Carrie, when you're talking about the Disney, I'm like, you know, thinking about the influences on our own you know, views or lenses mm -hmm. of how we perceive animal behavior in dogs, especially. And, and then we see like dogs in movies or, you know, the Disney dogs or even cartoon characters, it shapes and informs like our own opinions on how animals should behave yeah. and vice versa too. You know, so when you think of aggression or aggressive dog, people think of the dogs like from Cujo or like these movie dogs where that are, that are very, very, you know, we would consider like very aggressive um, or dogs like, you know, I don't know if you had the show where you are, but Magnum PI. So the dog, mm -hmm. um, same thing. It creates this image around a certain dog or a certain breed, even that can really like skew how the reality is from race yeah. versus, versus what our perception is. So yeah, media, movies, social media. I mean, there's so many influences on what we think. Because we both have those stereotypical aggressive breeds, don't we? You have Dobermans, I have Shepherds and mm -hmm they are the the dogs that people you see people literally like move their children away crossroads which obviously in my case with dodge i'm like yay move out of the way perfect thank you so much but then i've got the other extreme of um the chihuahuas that people are like oh my god they're so cute and this and i'm like actually in the kind of terms of showing aggressive behavior and kind of standing up for themselves and we call it a, a strong level of sass in this household. Like the chihuahuas are so much worse than Dodge actually is. Dodge is actually very polite in his play once he knows the dogs and stuff. Whereas mm -hmm. the chihuahuas have like a specified breed list. And if you are not on their approved list, like don't even look at them because you just anger them. But I think again, society's kind of made us go, well, you know, if, 
like because we see shepherds with with the police and you know we see dobermans in films and rottweilers as well get kind of lumped into this if there's a horror film and there's going to be a baddie dog it's nine times out of ten going to be a rotty or a doberman isn't it yeah again it's the size and the the look of the dog and that can really dictate what a what a dog people are going to think and and kind of like chihuahuas they get a bad rap too though you know think about because they they're they think about their perception of their world so if you look if you're viewing the world from the lens of a chihuahua you know things are much bigger for mm -hmm. them and you can understand why they can often be much more fearful than some of the other breeds of dogs that see things through a different lens so like when you look at dogs they're the one species where there's such a huge difference in sizes between different yes. you know uh, dogs in, the, in that particular species or animals in that species and so like you get have a chihuahua looking up at a great dane you know imagine a human you go to the office one day or you're at a restaurant suddenly there's a human that's like five times your height and ten times your weight that comes and sits next to you it's hard not to think you wouldn't be intimidated or yeah. like a little bit fearful so yeah i think um there's so many stereotypes and so many like ways that the the true nature of that of a particular breed or species could be so influenced you know mm -hmm. like like you were mentioning like with large dogs you know they're scary and i'm using air quotes for anybody that yeah. can see like the scary look is how it it again it's informed by what we see on in movies and media and social media especially so yeah 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 so i just want to go back to your point like you were saying about like these guardian livestock breeds because we i mean with me doing hoopers it's not kind of a group of dogs i tend to see a lot of because they're not really known for their sports prowess mm -hmm. as such. Um, yeah. You know, they they can make amazing pet dogs. And if you've got a little bit of land for them to kind of roam around and look after, that's perfect. But are you finding that there are a lot of these dogs that are bred for, as you say, things like guarding livestock and therefore kind of working big areas and being maybe independent of the human as well and having to do their job while the human isn't there that people are then expecting to live in just completely different environments like than they should be in kind of thing yeah unfortunately uh again a lot as a society you know if human society just wants things often we're looking at the looks we want the oh looks massively right so, you know, great peers are often viewed as very lovely, beautiful looking dogs, long, fluffy coats. So they're sometimes I mean, they look kind of cuddly and fluffy and like, right. And people like mistake them as even golden retrievers. Sometimes they're mislabeled as like just large golden retrievers. And uh, um, so, okay. Yeah. So just here is a little um, public service announcement. Um, great Pyrenees and golden retrievers are not the same thing, people. Yeah. Yeah, much, much different in terms of what we've selected for in there in over many generations of breeding. Yeah. So now I do want to clarify, you know, each just because a dog is of a certain breed, it's always unique to the individual. Yes. You know, there's plenty of great peers that can live in the city. There's plenty of shepherds that are going to be totally fine. In oh, I know some shepherds dogs. that are lovely, friendly, really yeah. sweet things. And then you have mine. So. <laughs> But so most, you know, most dogs, we can, we always want, well, all dogs, of course, we always want to look at the individual dog first. And then, mm -hmm. of course, think about breed specific traits that we've selected for as humans. Yeah, that is the next step. And we do a terrible disservice to the dog if we don't think about that, you know, and so like that livestock guardian dog, if we think we can just put them in a um, city environment. 
that is a terrible disservice if we don't recognize we need to meet that dog's needs. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, I don't, I don't know if I answered your question or kind of because I was no, I but this swirling is amusing. <laughs> this is how the conversation goes. We go off on branches and we come back to points and that's cool. So that kind of leads me into that whole I think one of the big misconceptions in dogs and training and one of the things I see so much on social media, and I think maybe more around like the bull breeds when people, and I, I was a bull breed mama, you know, I, I loved my bull breed girl, but I understood that if another dog started a fight, she was going to finish it. So I was always very mindful of the situation she was in. And luckily, you know, she was very, she was actually very good and helped a lot of dogs with, um, she stooged for me a lot. She was that dog that if the dog was unsure, she would just kind of be like, I'm just over here hanging out and looking on the other thing and sniffing rather than kind of eyeballing or any of those sort of situations. But the phrase that as, as a trainer, I find really like, oh, is, well, it's all in how you raise them. Mm. Do how much do you get that? Like, with clients, but also with trainers coming in that kind of have this little preconception in their brain of, well, it's all how you raise them and you can train this. And you're like, but. Wouldn't that be nice if it was right? all on how we raise them? Because then we'd have, if we put the right dog, if we put dogs with that right, that person who says it's all on how you raise them, then we could have somebody with a bunch of really amazing, perfect dogs. Mm -hmm. So if that person, that one person that's saying that, whoever's saying that, it's on how you raise them, we would solve all the world's dog problems within one generation, right? So we just find this one person, it's all on how you raise them, let's let's figure out how to raise them perfectly. And then all of us trainers and all, all the people dealing with behavior problems would, would be out of a job, right? Mm-hmm. So it shows you just kind of how misguided that statement can be because yeah. it's impossible. No breeder, no trainer, no breeding program, no training program, nobody out there is seeing 100% success in all of their dogs. And if you look at you know, if you look at people that have spent tons and tons of time and effort and research and data and science behind this notion of let's try to, let's use like uh, guide dogs for the blind, mm-hmm. right? So that organization or other organization that spend on, there's tons and tons of backing to make, sh- to, to try to get that. But if you talk to any of those programs, service dog programs, you're not going to see anywhere near a hundred percent success rate. It's much, much lower. So they're having, you know, and they've really done their work. They've done their Mm -hmm. homework. So it just shows you again, that it's not all on you raise them. And then the same thing with behavior issues, right? It's they're often unavoidable, regardless of that person's intent. I know many, many wonderful, wonderfully talented, knowledgeable trainers, they get a puppy that end up with an issue somewhere on down the line because of other things going on, genetics, health, environment. I mean, there's so much. And I know you had, Kim, I, I believe you had Kim Brophy on the podcast. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. She does a wonderful job of summarizing all of these other factors that can impact the behavior of an animal, yeah. you know, and the same for humans, you know, imagine if we, somebody said that about humans, it's on how you raise them. Then we'd have no problems in this world, right? Right, exactly. And <laughs> we'd that's have no the problems, thing well, no wars, because, no conflicts, no. Social oh, wouldn't media. it all be lovely if there was kind of this? Yeah, just a little like I. I mean, there'd be an app for it, wouldn't it? Someone would have invented an app, and what you do is you go on the app each day and you spend 
10 to 15 minutes minimum training your puppy with that specific exercise for that day. And then by the time they get to week 16, you've got the perfectly trained dog that never has any problems. There are no, um, I like to call them glitches um, because I just feel it's, it's a nicer way of explaining when shit's gone wrong, basically. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm like, it, it was just a glitch in the program and oh my God. But if it was that simple, I mean, someone would be making absolute fortune and the rest of us would all be kind of little little distributors of the magic app. <laughs> like... Yeah, yeah. It's, it's um, you know, we try to do the best, right, with all the information we have around dogs and mm-hmm. raising puppies and in teaching behaviors and avoiding problem behaviors, but it's so gray. There's just so much gray matter in there. And in terms of what could happen and what can change behavior, what influences it, we can't control also the environment, you know? So if you, you said it's all about just learning and not anything to do with genetics or health, then we just said, Oh, it's all in the environment. Mm-hmm. You still would have problems. You just still yeah. have the risk of something traumatic happening to that animal that can significantly influence their behavior for the rest of their lives. Yes. So it's, it's, um, yeah, I mean, if we have, if we have a robot in a vacuum, then we're all set. We can, we can get, we'll get what we want to see as the outcome, but we don't have that here with dogs, right? But sentient beings, humans, dogs, cats, anything with a brain. And I think also it's people's perceptions because, you know, what I see as the perfect dog with me, doing hoopers is going to be very different to the dog that you see as the perfect dog to live with your lifestyle that's going to be very different to I don't know a police dog handler that's got a sniffer dog that needs to you know do bombs or drug detection or something like that which is going to be different to someone that wants to go hiking every weekend to someone that lives in the city and just wants a dog that's going to be cute and kind of go for little walks and be there with them as a companion. There is no perfect answer, is there? Because we are also variable as humans. Yeah, there's so much variability. You know, you said it right there. There's just, you know, we. but again, we do our best with the information we have. We mm-hmm. set things up as best we can and um, we hope it all works out, right? Just yeah. like with our kids, you know, anybody who's raised kids, you know, you do the best you can, but um, you never know what to get. you're going to get. You hope for the best, right? You hope for the most positive outcome, what you, you're desiring yeah. as an outcome. But, you know, it's, and I keep saying this, I've, I've uh, this, this is actually my third podcast that I'm a guest on today. And I've mentioned <laughs> it in other, other two is that it's all about really the journey and not the destination because we're yes. so often focused on the destination of what we want in a dog. But if we forget about the journey and focusing on the journey in the moment, um, yeah then we'll never be happy with the outcome so and the journey's the fun bit a lot of the time as well like you know because I think that living with dogs that's a really nice analogy of it is a journey it's you and the dog together on a journey together it's not just you hitting a destination you know you're yeah. not jumping on a plane and getting there it's like we're on a massive road trip that's going to last for years and years and years and of course there's going to be bumps I mean if it was a plain flat road and I mean the roads you have over there are a lot straighter and a lot flatter than the roads you have over here but (laughs) it's like that would be really boring and I wouldn't want that yeah yeah it's you miss you miss all those moments and then you miss the learning opportunities too along the way 
And I think the other thing kind of saying like, you know, if, if it was all just learning is, and it's just how you raise them. I think that that does miss out the rest of, I'm going to quote Kim here because I've done Kim's course and it's amazing. And all the listeners know that I'm a huge fan of Kim Brophy's. Um, but it is the whole legs. It is the environments and the genetics and the self of the dog as well. And to just be focusing on this, well, my dog's aggressive because of, you know, going back to dodge the label i always say he has big emotions because i hate the word reactive because as a human i'm quite reactive you know i'm i'm over the top and i'm loud and people would be like whoa she's really reactive and i'm like "Mm, i'm just loud that's just me but when i get him in the sport environment and we are at a competition he's completely different because we're working And I think both of us are working, you know, when I've got him today, we were off lead, we were in a private area. So I wasn't having to recall him. I wasn't having to watch out for everything coming. He could be a dog and I could just hang out and watch him being a dog, which is great. But the times in between that where maybe we're road walking or maybe, you know, we go to a park or something like that. It's really hard being the owner of a reactive dog at times. And what's kind of your advice to, for me, kind of as that owner point of, you know, or as the handler or whatever term people want to use that it's, there are times where it's embarrassing. There are times where it's overwhelming. There are times where, I just wish people would just piss off and leave us alone. <laughs> yeah, and that's the, I think that's the the emotions that we have to recognize that we, we look for in dogs. We want to understand the dog's emotions and what they're going through. But with my trainer, the, so, so I'm talking, you know, almost like if I'm talking to my students who are all mm-hmm. dog trainers or somebody in the animal profession, is that's so important to recognize the emotions of the human on the other end of that leash. Because if we don't, we're not going to make much change for that dog if the handler's not feeling or the owner or guardian's not feeling um, safe in that environment with their own dog. And safety doesn't necessarily mean like dog biting, you know, that and that type of safety label. I'm talking about them feeling safe. The need to feel safe is crucial. It's the most important thing, really, for mm-hmm. dogs, when, especially with aggression. They have to feel safe or they're going to potentially display that aggressive behavior. Or they might get frustrated or they might get avoidant. They might experiencing all kinds of, they're going to experience the stress, you know, mm-hmm. and that can add up over time. So the same thing can happen to people. So first I have, you know, it's important to empathize with the people involved on the other leash and what they might be experiencing. They might be embarrassed. They might be frustrated. They might be, maybe they have pain issues. Maybe the dog's done something that where they've been pulled off their feet or pulled their arm and hurt their shoulder. And Mm -hmm. uh, the person's afraid of that. So even if you just had your shoulder operated on and it's all good and all healed up, there's still some trepidation about going out there with your dog again, especially if the dog caused that injury in the first place. So, you know, that's, we have to understand those feelings of humans too. So I can kind of hear some of the things you're saying, Carrie, too, when you're out with Dodge, it can, you, there's that anxiety component, that little bit of worry about what, what's going to happen today or which dog is going to come or, 
which person that's not listening to you is going to come over <laughs> an idiot, you know? Yeah. Those are all normal concerns. And, um, so to help my clients navigate that, I think one of the things is to set them up for success as well. So just like we do for our dogs, we don't put them in a difficult environment. I think for humans as well, we have to set them up for success, make sure they feel equipped, make sure they feel safe, make sure they have the skills in a particular environment and gradually get to those deeper ends of the swimming pool, right? Mm -hmm. you know, we have to start out on the shallow end for our dogs and same thing for people. They have to feel safe or else they're going to feel like they're drowning. So yeah. um, one of the things I do with my clients is just let's go to an area where you feel safe. I'm going to make sure that things are going to be safe for you. I mean, I'm going to be there for you. I'm going to be there to coach. I'm going to be there to intervene. If some idiot comes up and tries to say, I, oh, don't worry, all dogs love me kind of <laughs> attitude, right? Oh, I'm glad you have those people over there as well. Because yeah, don't, oh, or yeah. the one that gets me is that I've had shepherds all my life. And I'm like, if you had, you would not be looking directly yeah. at him and you yeah. would not be approaching him with a limb towards him. Like, what are you doing? Yeah. And so I do, I, you know, I spend a lot of time on that, making sure that the, the client I'm working with feels safe and equipped, you know, so they know what to do if something bad happens. And they also know how to be proactive about avoiding things, those bad things. Most mm -hmm. of them are, because most people that have been pulled down or embarrassed or whatever it is, they're really hypervigilant about the environment. They know something bad could happen, mm -hmm. which adds to their anxiety, of course. But if they know what to do, if something happens, uh, and it can be as little as just learning how to advocate for their dog in a more direct way because yeah. some of us are introverts right we don't want to say anything or be rude to somebody or tell somebody to back away or even talk to some people at some time so it could actually be helpful for them to the humans to practice that behavior mm -hmm. so i might actually this something it sounds silly to some people like oh you want me to actually practice holding my hand up and saying you know you know my dog is contagious or it's back away whatever to keep their that person or their dog away yeah but it's actually something that needs to be practiced just like we would practice a skill with our dogs because it's a useful behavior to help us cope and feel safer then once you feel practiced at it guess what it becomes second nature just like the whatever the disengagement we teach our dogs so look at that thing and then look back at us it mm -hmm. becomes just a pattern well practiced behavior and so humans need to practice those things because some of us like there's some people that have no problem you know back the heck away from my dog but some other people feel very embarrassed or shy and so they mm -hmm. get stuck in a corner they don't know what to do and it can be a ter terrible experience for them so it's those little things they start to add up to okay if i feel proactive and or feel like i'm in control of my environment then i'm going to feel much safer there's less anxiety and mm -hmm. um, it really can help for, for, you know, the experiences you were mentioning is it just, it can get frustrating. You just don't know, you know, how, what's going to happen today. So if we know that I'm prepared for what's going to come at me today, bring it, <laughs> mm -hmm. right. Then it can make a big difference. And I think the other thing for me is I have to try and go, right, what went right in this walk rather than what went mm -hmm. wrong in the walk. Because for yeah. an example, um, Saturday we went to, there's a park near me. Um, so a lot of the parks in the UK, dogs are just off lead and running, to be honest, feral, um, because apparently people stop teaching their dogs how to recall and it's okay because they're friendly. Um, it's it's great fun. Um, it's why I don't go to parks with him ever on my own. I always have husband with me and we go at really obscure times and there's always a ball and treats and like all the good stuff to keep him with us. But 
unfortunately that doesn't always work but the place we went to at the weekend um it's like a private garden so all dogs have to be on lead so perfect all the dogs are on leash and they have to be on short leash so you do see the odd like extending flexi lead but mm -hmm. like mm -hmm. there are lots of people like kind of park people around sort of saying excuse me can you shorten your lean stuff like that and we were there for probably about three hours. We went for like a really nice long walk around it. And we had, I would say probably two kind of instants, but the main one was with um two greyhounds that I saw that they were wearing muzzles. Now in the UK, generally if greyhounds are wearing muzzles, it's just because they're X racing dogs and they have to wear muzzles for safety of small furry creatures rather than kind of them being aggressive. And I kind of misread the situation and then spent like the rest of the day kicking myself for it. But the chihuahuas were in their like buggy stroller because it was quite a long walk and it was way too far for them to walk the whole way. So chihuahuas in the stroller, husband with me attached to large shepherd, had the stroller, the shepherd was off the path to the side and the greyhounds started coming down and I was so busy trying to kind of stop the chihuahuas from snarling at the greyhounds that I hadn't realized that the second greyhound coming down, the handler was basically allowing the dog to kind of beeline towards the push chair. Mm. And Dodge was very angry at the large male greyhound that was coming towards his chihuahuas in the push chair. And it just ended up with three really, really angry dogs. And then obviously I was upset. Hubby was pissed off because the shepherd had had a freak out and it kind of spoiled the rest of the walk. And then afterwards I was like, oh, I wish we'd just given them more room or asked the people to wait for us to get past. Or also I kind of thought, well, actually it wasn't all down to us. Like, Maybe the greyhound people, if they'd known their dogs were going to come towards us, could have stopped as well. But I think being British, we've kind of had this whole, you have to be polite to people. And I really wish that in that situation, I'd just gone, can you just wait there for us to get up this hill and get out of your way so that we don't have, instead of then after that, every single dog we saw dodge was popping at and he'd just done two hours of just walking past dogs like mm -hmm. cool they're ignoring me wicked then as soon i don't think it helped then the next two dogs sorry i know we're i'm giving you a lot of information but um two bostons that were very scary with you know the owners that are just oblivious to the mm -hmm. fact that their dogs are eyeballing everything <laughs> and then there was a jack russell that was also really scary and i was just like <laughs> can someone just get us back to the car like now i just wanted like to i don't know click my fingers or wiggle my nose or like click my heels or something to like teleport us back to the van and just stop <laughs> yeah it's those kind of days really can you know make us feel like things are going south right things are yeah. not working out well then you said something earlier too you know it's again you had you know when you have those good days those good moments and that's in recognizing the positives and that's the journey we were talking about before you know celebrating those moments during your journey because what can happen too is those bad days like that that day you had with those bostons and the greyhounds 
is can really impact it because sometimes my clients they'll go months and months without any incident or like they had a dog that's bitten somebody bitten people like 12 times in one year then they go another the next year and it's like eight months since another bite happens Mm -hmm. and then another bite actually does happen it can feel like suddenly everything's just ruined like it's like oh this is just awful what are we gonna do and especially impactful when it hasn't happened in such a long time. Mm-hmm. But that is progress. You know, so you go from 12 bites in a year to one bite in a, the next year. Mm-hmm. That's progress in your journey, right? So maybe you go with one bite in the next two years after that. That's yeah. progress. And we have to think about that. Um, so I kind of want to just touch base on that. But yeah, to, to um, you know, go back to this incident with the Greyhounds and these Bostons, you know, uh, for anybody listening, and one of the, one of the, things that has been working really well for my clients is just to yell, you know, can you mind waiting? My, my dog's contagious, you know, so you might dodge. Oh, he's not feeling, he's contagious. I don't want anything to happen to your dogs. So you, you're not being rude. You're actually kind of doing the opposite. You're caring for that other person's dogs, gets mm-hmm. their attention usually. So for that owner, that's like not paying attention or like, don't worry, he's friendly. You know, my dog's friendly and they still let the dog come up. Uh, then it gives them a pause to think about it. Like, Ooh, wow. Contagious. What does that mean? And then they, they, you know, they're more, especially after COVID times, people yeah. are like very much understand what that means. And so they'll often back away and be like, Oh, okay. Thanks for letting me know. And you know, you can make anything else. Up, you know, yep. <laughs> he has dogitis or whatever. And you just, yeah. Like, oh. <laughs> he has idiotitis. He can't deal with idiots. Yeah. Um, so that, it's funny though, you say that, you know, like the politeness in the UK, it's just, it's similar with Canadians. My Canadian friends are, I always <laughs> joke with them. They're like the politest people on the planet. Right. <laughs> sorry. You know, um, everything's sorry before they actually speak, but <laughs> which I don't mind at all. I, I love but that. I, and that's the thing. Like I automatically like went to apologize to them for my dogs being upset that their dogs came into my dog's space. And I'm like, why am I apologizing? <laughs> yeah. Like that wasn't my problem. That that was a you problem. And we were containing our animals as best we could right then. And yeah, like one of the other things um for me that's really helped with Dodge is um having him muzzled in public. But the muzzle um I've got him, I'm gonna give Clara a shout out at the muzzle movement. Um it's a trainer that's designed a muzzle and she did a Kickstarter and there is a very long wait list, but I have to say they're some of the best muzzles I've used, but they come in really bright colors. So Dodge's muzzle is literally bright orange, so you can't miss it. And that has helped a lot with people giving us more space because the other thing I discovered at um, a show the other week is because it's such a nice big muzzle and he's got loads of pamp room, he can actually carry a ball in it on the way back from the ring. So he'll do his run, we'll have a play. And I literally, he has his ball and I put his muzzle on with the ball in his mouth, thread the handle for, him, and then he trots back with his ball, but with his muzzle as well. And I just kind of, I found it, kind of funny that I felt like I needed to apologize for my dog's behavior when actually the behavior they displayed was actually appropriate Mm -hmm. because there was a dog coming into their space. Yeah. Yeah. And And, they're just communicating with each other. And the chihuahuas are contained in the, in the buggy in the stroller. So they're obviously, they don't want dogs coming up to them because they're chihuahuas and they don't like that. But then obviously him being the breed he is, 
his little sisters are in a stroller and there's a strange dog coming towards them. Yeah. Yeah, dogs don't share the same politeness as like Canadians and folks from the UK, right? <laughs> they want to communicate to each other. I so. mean, I'm still, I think we'll just say Canadians. I'm not sure everyone in the UK is that polite. Yeah. Well, um, I'll tell you, you know, it's funny. I was just at Clicker Expo and um, I went out with a group and I was actually the only one from the US. There's a Canadian, somebody from Canada, somebody from Sweden. Uh, Chirag was there, who's from the UK. Mm-hmm. And uh, we, were to- we were joking about that. Like, you know, I'm, I'm like, what is your view of the US? You know, the United States and there. It was funny because they're like, yeah, <laughs> we're like, because because we ended up in this place in Washington, D.C. that uh, wasn't necessarily a bad place, but they're um, like, so what do you think about coming down to an area where there's like a bar or something? And um, they're like, I don't know. It's a little bit interesting because you're a little more worried in the U.S. than anywhere else. And like, and mm-hmm. that's so funny because culturally in the U.S., we're worried about traveling so to so many other places. But we're like, it's one of the most dangerous places you could go to in the U.S. with some certain types of crimes. So, so complete just... like little sidebar, but we travel to the States quite a lot on holiday. We've got friends um, in Michigan, Ohio. Um, obviously, I've got lots of dog training friends dotted around, but kind of what I call real world friends, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And we go to Florida quite a lot. And this year um, we flew into, we were meant to be flying straight into Orlando, um, but our flight got changed and they were like, oh, well, we'll do this deal. If you can like take a later flight, we'll give you flight credit. So we were like, sweet, we'll take flight credit. Like that's cool. And we found this so I've discovered when here's a top tip for anyone. If you're traveling to the States, don't stay in a motel. Um, the quality in is is not necessarily the most well-named chain of motels to be staying in. Um, and at 3 a.m. there was um, people arguing outside and it was really loud. And obviously we've been on a flight, we're tired. And Hubby was like, I'm going to go and tell him shut up. And I was like, no you're not because they might have guns and that's one thing that like in the UK we never have to worry about well say never like there are places but it's Mm -hmm. very rare whereas over there there was that real like if you go out and tell someone to shut up over here like you might get a knife pulled on you (laughs) but it was a genuine concern that like we're in this really sketchy part of Florida and like I didn't want to get shot by someone yeah and so so when you think about it you know that's what a lot of dogs are thinking about right that like dodge is worried about the chihuahuas right yeah and he's like hang her. on yep you know and they don't know like it's it's because so, that's their way of communicating in in just barking letting the other dog know hey don't come near my family or my you know whoever i'm protecting or or the, in some most cases is the dog themselves like don't come near me because i'm worried about you and what mm-hmm. you might have i don't know if you have a gun or a knife or yeah you know. so it's it's just that natural communication so to go back to your original question yeah i mean it's normal behavior for most mm-hmm. dogs to say i don't know about you and then you know i need to know to feel safe so the best way for me to do that is to bark and keep you away and for m- most times it works you know the dogs use aggression to more aggressive behaviors yeah uh, not that barking is always aggressive but it's they might use a response like that to keep the other dogs away and it usually works so um and that's but i mean like that's living often very normal communication yep like living in a multi-dog household like it's as simple as if 
It's, I mean, one the chihuahuas growls all the time. We joke that like everyone is completely desensitized to her growl because she just does it so much, bless her. Um, it's like her default behavior is to just growl at everyone. Mm-hmm. But the one of the things I know, like with him, if he's like kind of going over to them and he's maybe bugging them a bit, it will be like a simple lip curl and he'll go, oh, I'm really sorry. When we're out and he's like had play dates with, um, he's got lots of collie friends. He's got a spaniel friend. He likes Malinois as well. He has like a few little girlfriends. They will literally just have to curl a lip and he stops instantly and is like, oh, I'm terribly sorry. I didn't mean to and becomes very British. Um, <laughs> but when it comes to male dogs, he, he doesn't interact with male dogs. Because I don't trust him to interact with male dogs, basically. I don't want to put him in a situation where he's going to fail, but also I don't want to put another dog in a situation where he could injure them or where he could be injured because he's been rude. And I think that's a really tough thing for kind of me as also as a trainer and an owner, because mm-hmm. I think as trainers, we put that extra expectation on us that our dog should be perfect in air quotes. And for him, I I will I just actively avoid male dogs, especially entire other entire male dogs. I'm just like, nope, we don't need to deal with that. Yeah, yeah, and that's that particular issue often is because of a negative experience with another male, or mm-hmm. so. Like, it's just if you if you just switched up a male dog with you know man in a big hat or with wearing a big hat or a puffy jacket and there's mm-hmm. a negative experience in the past the dogs learn that hey this particular demographic or this particular dog that matches a certain characteristic whether it's intact male or all males or big fluffy dogs whatever it is uh-huh. they learn that oh could be safe or unsafe right so mm-hmm. they just start to proactively like okay it's all male dogs that could be a problem for me um, in most cases, some smaller cases, it can be like just general competition over things, you know, mm-hmm. so like two intact males around a female in heat. Um, not, it doesn't necessarily mean there's a bad experience in the past. It's just they're competing over the same. Of course. Uh, yeah. Uh, so yeah, it's, uh, it's interesting how it generalizes like that so quickly sometimes, but it can. So I think part of the problem with, with Dodge and where this kind of stemmed from with us is that obviously the whole world got put into that wonderful lockdown that Mm -hmm. may not have been fully necessary as more evidence is coming out scientifically. But for him, we were hitting about six, seven months old Mm -hmm. and then lockdown happened. And then we came out of lockdown and I went to my friends and she's got another male shepherd that's three weeks older than him before lockdown they were they were buddies you know they were playing together and having fun together and just doing what boys do and then they didn't see each other for 10 weeks or so and it was literally like we just got the heads of two rival gangs and they just saw each other and it was like oh okay and it was a lot of what I would call handbags there was a lot of kind of noise and teeth and but it was obviously stopped as quick as it started. You know, we both kind of dove in, grabbed mm-hmm. <laughs> grabbed the relevant shepherd, moved them away from yeah. each other. And we did go for a walk after on lead, but the whole walk you could see they were like, you, I'm going to have you. 
And that was the point that my confidence, I was like, whoa, hang on. This is a dog that you were friends with. And now you've decided that you're not friends with. But now I'm just like, I don't want to be put in a situation where he does something that is overly aggressive, that is, you know, physically aggressive and ends up hurting another dog. So I've kind of gone, right, we'll put in the ultimate control and management and we just won't do that. Yeah. It. So how old is he now? He is three and a half. So he'll be mm-hmm. four in July. And when was that? When did it, when you did that little reintroduction where you had that? So that would have been like three years ago-ish. So they saw each other again when he was about a year and change? Yeah, so they were, they were probably, we went into lockdown when they would have both have been about eight months old or so. And then by the time we came out, they were both around a year. So it was that real Adolescence, yeah. <laughs> Adolescence, going into social maturity. Yeah, that's that's one of the most common reasons I see dogs that previously got along as puppies suddenly don't like each other. Mm-hmm. It's the same with people. Right? Like a lot of kids, kids they get along great as kids, but then they get into their teenage years and they have different attitudes and views on things. And mm-hmm. sometimes you see two kids that used to get along having conflicts. Because uh, social maturity in adolescents and dogs really often you're going to see behavior changes mm-hmm. um, and more likelihood if they're going to engage in conflict, they're more much more likely to do so once they get into that year and a half, two year old stage. In fact, if you looked at most of my caseload over 20 years, so thousands of cases, the vast majority of cases where the aggression starts to surface is when the dog's between a year and a half and two and a half years old depending on the breed you know smaller dogs mature a little more quickly than mm-hmm. like a mastiff but yeah that is the most common time so it's when we see conflicts arise really mm-hmm. social maturity <laughs> so adolescence yeah. kicking in um so yeah i mean since like the whole lockdown and stuff happened because another phrase that's being kind of another label that's being put around a lot now is well i had a lockdown puppy and you're like but are you just using that as an excuse (laughs) or is it because there was this mass influx and i mean yes we have puppy farms in the uk and yes we have backyard breeders that are just turning out anything for a profit I know obviously in the States, your puppy farming situation is a lot bigger. I mean, you're a bigger place, so it's going to happen. But from your kind of caseload, I guess the question would be, have you seen a rise in the amount of aggression cases you're seeing because more people have dogs or because dogs are more badly bred? Or what's your kind of views and opinions on that? Yeah, that's a great question. It's... um... The jury's still out on the actual dog aggression with with regards to bites. So uh, there isn't enough um, data yet to say, how are we seeing an increase in the number of fatalities and severe dog attacks? Because mm-hmm. in the States, they track dog bite statistics. This um, The CDC or Center for Disease Control is the one that tracks any dog bites that go to the emergency room or require medical okay. care. Uh, but they don't, the most recent statistics, I think were five years old or so so it's they we have catching up to do to before we really know the Mm -hmm. answer now anecdotally through my my trainers or my students they they have all indicated an uptick in the number of cases where the the issue is presenting as aggression or reactivity or you know those those labels we put on it but um so the so this is all 
I guess, speculation at the moment, because mm -hmm. we don't really know for sure, because trends in what may appear is happening isn't really what's happening. However, we're seeing a lot of anecdotal sort of um, information about an increase in these cases. Mm -hmm. I think there's it's a multifactorial thing that's happening. So number one is everybody wanted a dog because they were lonely. So we had tons of demand for dogs during mm -hmm. the pandemic. And so we saw a lot of dogs being adopted from shelters that maybe shouldn't have been necessarily adopted because they had a lot of ex issues and they were being put in homes that weren't the right match for them. Mm -hmm. uh, we saw a lot of puppy production, you know, so really trying to meet the demand of all of this. Mm -hmm. I mean, people I knew in the pandemic, they were like bidding on puppies. I mean, people were stealing dogs. I mean, it was really. Oh like, yeah, dog theft demand. became ridiculous. Huge. Like it was the time I was like, I'm glad I now have a large German Shepherd. And I, I wouldn't walk the dogs without walking him with them because yeah. there were literally people pulling up in vehicles and snatching dogs and driving away. It was yeah. horrific. Yeah. So a lot of, um, and a lot of people just not knowing how to breed dogs, they were just bored. And so they got, somebody got their intact male and intact female together during the pandemic and, you know, they have the puppies. So, uh, so I think a lot of the, the questions about the, you know, so you mentioned the puppy mills, but you know, we're getting puppies from questionable breeding practices, which mm -hmm. also of course can impact their genetics and their yeah. early exposure whether it's in utero with their mom or whether it's during the first eight weeks during those critical socialization windows. We saw a lot of, of course, problems with that. So mm -hmm. where we got the dogs from, number one, um, the demand for dogs. Uh, but then you look at the socialization aspect. So people often argue, argue the point, these dogs are all kept inside the house and never got to go out and never got to see any of the dogs or people. And there's some truth to that as well. That also adds to the conversation, potential reasons uh, for their dog's issues. Uh, so and... Just to jump in on that point, um, in the UK, I I kind of go, well, really though, because the gov our government was like, you can go for a walk a day. Mm -hmm. And basically, if you had a dog, you could walk your dog. Like yeah. that was, and I know in some, like some countries, um, I believe Spain and some of the other countries in Europe were like, you could literally leave, like you had a tiny perimeter around your house, yeah. you could walk your dog in but over here it was a case of the one thing you were kind of allowed to do was walk the dog so people saying that the dog wasn't being exposed to kind of stuff and wasn't leaving the house over here I don't feel is a valid point because I actually think in ways for a lot of dogs especially dogs that were maybe of the more nervous type they probably got more appropriate socialization because people couldn't come within six foot of them. Yeah. And they couldn't just be jumped upon by other dogs. I guess the question is for those owners that had the opportunity to go out for those walks, did they actually do it? <laughs> we also had a lot of, you know, um, mental health um, considerations mm -hmm. during it. So people, even if they could go out, didn't go out. They just yeah. home, cuddled their puppy and uh, the dog didn't get much exposure. So I think yeah. it's going to, it really is unique to the individual person, yes. what they did with their dog. Yeah. So yeah, it's definitely not an excuse not to do it. Um, or, you know, am I saying that right? It's definitely not an excuse not to take your dog out. Yeah. I'm using double negative. So I know. <laughs> so yeah, if, so they could have done English, it. Any English teacher listening, yeah. we're sorry. Okay. But it was a thing that happened. Um, um, so yeah, so you can see there's so many variables that mm -hmm. can impact how a dog is going to, what kind of behavior we're going to get. 
when it comes to something like a pandemic and all of the potential impacts on the dog's behavior. I mean, I know from my point of view and from speaking to friends that have dogs that are around that kind of three and a half, four year old stage, Mm -hmm. they seem to be the dogs that have maybe shown more reactivity or kind of have bigger emotions because we we were able to do the good puppy stuff but then as we were hitting that adolescent stage where we really needed to be doing more things with them we just couldn't you know one of the main things dodge missed out on was going to shows and being in a show environment because they just weren't like we weren't allowed you know obviously a load of and I'm going to stereotype and I'm sorry, but a load of crazy middle-aged women stood in the field doing dog sports was not something that the government deemed as like a necessary thing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, um, one of my really good friends, um, Joe, just a quick shout out to Joe. Um, one of her dogs before, you know, the lockdown was really cool. And then her and Dodge are very similar in age and, her dog has similar issues now with other dogs and like she's okay with people but new dogs in her space and her being around other dogs that are kind of new to her she behaves very differently to all of the other dogs that live in that household so that goes back to that point of well it's not how you raise them because they've been raised by the same person in the same house in a multi-dog household what was the difference and it was that we had that lockdown during adolescence yeah yeah i don't know if i have much to add to that because you said it so well i mean it's thank you yeah i mean (laughs) it'll be interesting though for you to kind of maybe like talk to some of your students and stuff and just see if they're finding sort of the same that that bracket of kind of three and a bit to age four whether those dogs are kind of more falling into that aggression label than maybe dogs that are a bit younger or dogs that are older and had already kind of got over the pandemic stuff yeah i i mean i i think intuitively yes um we're gonna see once once if there is any kind of data that comes out especially with more severe aggression cases i think we are going to see a higher percentage because of the all of the factors of the pandemic that mm-hmm. that occurred you know what makes me think about that too is i recently um offered up my course to anybody, any trainer in Ukraine because of all the issues they're experiencing. Yeah, I saw that. uh, And then my partner also gave her her webinar. She's like, anybody who's a trainer, we're going to just give you guys it for free. We know you're struggling. It's, there's a lot of things going on. And what I'm seeing and hearing now from a lot of these trainers is one of the most, uh, significant changes in the dog's behavior there is noise sensitivity obviously because of all of the the noises that occur in a war Mm -hmm. and then also increased aggression so uh, you know things like increased stress and obviously moving and the chaos and yeah impact the animal's behavior there so it just shows you how much a change in the environment in a large scale you know the whole country of ukraine can impact dog's behavior yeah. So when you look at environmental changes that occur during a pandemic, you know, lockdowns and the stress of the humans and mm-hmm. uh, lack of socialization, it it's a it shows that yes, you know, environment is going to you know change many dogs' behavior, and it takes a very resilient dog or human <laughs> to be able to go through that kind of scenario. Yeah. So yeah, yeah, I think I think we'll end up seeing the the the, the data come out or the statistics, you know. I think an owner survey aspect is probably the best way to gather that data, mm-hmm. but 
you know. I mean, it'll be interesting to kind of, especially when you say like about those bites, bite statistics coming out of if they were five years old and then we compare it to like in five years time. But then again, in another five years time, when the pandemic's happened and we're potentially then going to be having offspring of these pandemic puppies you know these puppies that were produced because I think as well just growing up as a kid you yes of course you had like the mongrels and you know you had accidental litters and stuff like that but one thing I don't remember being around dogs that and maybe it was just the kind of dogs we had, but, you know, we had shepherds growing up and collies, but I don't remember those dogs kind of being aggressive. And it seems to be that maybe it's just more people have dogs now, or maybe, you know, breeding practices have changed. Dogs are more valuable now. But I think even in, you know, the decade and a half that I've been training, I've seen a difference in the dogs that are coming through classes, dogs that are being produced, and also, you know, how people are finding dogs. Yeah. Um, you know, going back to the the dogs that have had much more opportunity to explore and just be out, or so mm -hmm. um, whether they're streeties or dogs that don't have an owner or dogs that are just allowed to go out all day and come back. Those kind of latchkey dogs. <laughs> yeah, you, there's a significant lack of aggression. So you don't see much aggression in those dogs. And yeah. historically, you know, if you look at, if you go to a different country and you meet the dogs that are just roaming around the streets, they're often very friendly uh, or fearful. They just move away from people if they need to, but yep. you don't see overt aggression. You don't see those dogs attacking anybody in most places. Um, it depends on the country, but in most places, if the dogs are generally regarded as let's just leave them alone or let them be, or we'll take care of them in some degree, mm -hmm. those dogs are all very social and happy and they're not using aggression to get what they want or or deal with the threats. They yeah. might use it, but it's at a very low level. And even when they have conversations with each other, it's a very low level. So growling gets the point of grass or a little mm -hmm. snarl. No need to do any kind of biting or fighting. It's very rare to see yeah. that in those situations. So um so we have to think about that, you know, from our from our own perspective as humans, what we're bringing dogs into, what kind of environment are we bringing them to? What what are we asking of them? You know, when when all over the world, the vast majority of dogs on this planet are not owned by anybody, you know, they're not it's a vast majority of dogs are not owned by anybody and they're doing extremely well behaviorally and socially. You know, obviously, there's the health aspects. They don't live as long as the dogs in our care because they don't they don't get the same veterinary care, mm -hmm. but they're really pretty happy most of the time. They're living yeah. life like most dogs would like to live life. So. We, when you look at it and take a step back and look at all of these factors that humans, you know, this, the influences that humans have on dogs, that impacts, of course, their behavior. Yeah. So, and when we're looking at aggression, you will see just how much humans influence that factor. Yeah. You know, whether we ask for it, whether we select for it in like a livestock guardian bean or a protection dog, like a German Shepherd protection trained dog, mm -hmm. or, you know, dogs where we're trying to avoid it in, but because of all the other stuff we're doing to add stressors to their life or impact their, their quality of life, uh, it actually, um, sort of encourages aggression. So, yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I think the other thing where obviously, you know, there's always trends in breeds, aren't there? And, you know, every kind of few years, a new breed comes into 
fashion, as it were. And I mean, currently in the UK, the two main breeds in fashion are um, XL Bullies, thanks America, and um, because we didn't have enough. You know, what's wrong with just a lovely, nice Sasha Bull Terrier? You know, they're sound, they're tiny. If they're being a bit much, you can just pick them up and walk away from them. Everyone was fine with this. Um, now it's XL Bullies and Belgian Malamars. Mm-hmm. And I mean, even Hubby, you know, was was flicking through some stuff the other day and he was like, like adverts for pet dogs for you know joe blogs public who has no idea of where to get a dog from and the first place they're going to look is the internet because you know you get everything on the internet now thanks amazon prime it was literally xl bullies and malinois but the thing that made me laugh the most is that with the especially the mallies several of the adverts were these are protection dogs and then the next sentence was make great family pets and i was like <laughs> i mean the the phrase that came out of my mouth started in f and ended in f and i was like that's not fucking thing because but then you have people go out and they buy this really cute little bitey puppy and they're like oh it's a bit bitey and you're like oh it's they're like oh well it bites a lot and you're like it's a malamar what did you think was gonna happen <laughs> Like, you know, it's a shepherd. They like biting stuff. This is reinforcing for them. But then now, six, seven, eight, nine months, all of a sudden they can't look after it anymore. And now the shelters, the rescues are just being inundated. And the same with the XL bullies, because I'm not being funny as puppies. They're just these big, fat, squishy things with feet. And then they get bigger and bigger and bigger and then they've taken a radiator off the wall because they're not watching where they're going and people are like oh I can't look after them but added on to that is they're then as they're hitting adolescence they are showing aggression as well and I would suggest from again anecdotal but I would say 95% of the posts I see from rescue friends in the UK they are adolescent male dogs yeah and I was just talking to somebody about this too, the same phenomenon is that we, as humans, again, we have to get away from going, getting dogs for their looks, right? Or as like fashion accessories, mostly, mm-hmm. in a sense, when you think about it, when we get a dog just based on their looks and not considering health or behavior, right? What does that tell us? So yeah, it, it, it really is doing a disservice to the, the dog as a species in general. Because yeah. we're not considering their needs. We're not considering the right environment for them. We're not considering their health. We're not considering their life when it comes to behavior too. Mm-hmm. And so if we're getting the, these dogs based on their looks like the Malinois, and if they start, if we keep, if we're getting the right kind of Malinois, the type of Malinois, I should say that, that I'm thinking of that is capable of certain behaviors and you put it in the wrong home, we're doing a terrible disservice. Yeah. So, you know, we should be really thinking about what are we getting this dog for? Is it for the looks or is it we want a true good family pet? Yeah. So. I mean, I when um when the film Dog came out, I know like everyone was freaking out like, oh my God, there's a film, there's a Malamar and everyone's... I actually think that film showed really well that they will, 
rip your truck up and they will cause chaos and they are not easy. And I was like, yay, finally a film that's kind of showing them how they could be if you're not going to put in the work and the training. But I kind of think back to, I don't know, maybe like even growing up, like I remember there was like the trend for everyone getting Dalmatians and then everyone wanted pugs and then Frenchies came in. And it feels like all of a sudden we've gone from like people getting pugs and Frenchies that, you know, maybe the worst thing was they couldn't breathe very well. Mm-hmm. So now we're getting, especially in the UK, you've got the XL bullies that they're then crossing with Corsos. And I'm like, so you've genetically, you've taken a breed that was bred to hunt people and a breed that was bred to kill other animals. And you've put them together and gone, this will make a really good family pet to walk down a high street. And you're like, can yeah, we stop yeah. yet? That's yeah, that's what that do we do, Michael? We need a we need a Disney movie with a good mixed breed streety dog, right? <laughs> like a dog that we don't care about the looks. We we look at the behavior. You know, it's um there's actually some good work being done here. I just met somebody at Clicker Expo that's behind the uh, Boson dog project, which is that the whole premise behind the breeding is for behavior. So they're not breeding for looks. They're taking, like, if you have a dog in Wisconsin that's still intact and a dog in Massachusetts that's still intact and their behavior is beautiful, let's get them together and have some puppies. So that's the wow. breeding program. And so it doesn't matter what they look like. It's just what what we're looking for for behavior. So there's, and they, ha- and they had, I will say that the dog that was at, with the, at the conference with this person was beautiful. It was like a, ah, like a, kind of a border collie sort of mixed like beautiful coat color but like mixed with a bunch of other things you couldn't tell what it was mm-hmm. and, but so 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 you like just you know and if you're looking at a behaviorally sound dog resilient friendly to everybody well-mannered and knows how to communicate with all the dogs this was the dog mm-hmm. and imagine if we just kept reproducing that we would, as trainers, working with behavior issues would be out of a job within several generations of that dog. And if everybody just started getting that particular dog and forgot, you know, let's forget about looks for a moment. And we look at just the behavior and eventually the health too. We want to pay attention to good health. Yeah, of course. But that that usually comes naturally when you, when you stop selecting for a particular look. Because look what happens when we keep breeding for looks is the health suffers. Well, we go your- back to that fox... Um, yeah. experiment that they did, didn't right. they, when they tried to breed the cute, cuddly foxes and then yeah. there were coat changes and stuff, but yeah. they managed to over, what was it, yeah. like four or five generations, mm-hmm. change them from being a wild animal to yeah. something that was cuddly and wanted to be petted and loved on and stuff. So yeah. And then the, the health though, you know, that's the thing. The purebred dogs are much more likely to have health issues than your mixed breed dogs. So mm-hmm. if you just look for, at mixing breeds, you're most likely going to see, you know, you won't see the same um, problems when you have inbreeding of dogs, of course, yeah. so to, to maintain a particular look. So think about that as well. So it's just, yeah, it'd be nice to, let's get Hollywood or some, you know, the people making movies. Do you know what though? I have to say the film that came into my brain. And again, this is giving away my age, but Disney did make a really good film called Oliver and Company. And Dodger was the artful Dodger character in it. And he was a really cool mixed breed street dog that was just really cool. Mm -hmm. And I guess Tramp in Lady and the Tramp would kind of fall into that category as well. 
I think he was a bit of a maybe a bit schnauzery, but I you know your you know your movies better than I do. I hey, <laughs> I'm a little Disney buff, like I geek out on Disney. I have to say, but I think it is that thing, isn't it? That again, back when I was a youngling, we we had mongrels and people had like mixed breeds and crossbreeds, and then I think the whole doodle phenomenon happened, and all of a sudden designer dogs came in and some of the crosses are wicked and some of them you're just like what why why are we crossing this like I'm gonna pick on them Pomskis I why like just get a cleek eye <laughs> <laughs> yeah it and looks I'm, like I'm not so against, but... against that I'm, I'm just against when it's your when they're not considering the health or the the behavior you yeah, because actually mixing is not uh, well with some to some poten potential mixes, you know, large and tiny dogs being mixed. But it's for the most part, I'm OK with that mixing, you know, call it whatever you want, but it's going to end up being a it's it's a mutt. What do you think about it? It's a mix. Yeah, no, dog. it it is. I mean, our, our bully breed, girl. breed club just establishes it as like a recognized breed. But, uh, you know, the problems I have is when somebody takes you know, they're not considering the behavior. Like if they take a South African borble or something or praise a canario mm -hmm. and they're mixing that with something, you know, so like a South African borble, borble poodle mix would be a problem for me because then if they're like, oh, this will be a great family dog with a little bit of muscle. No. Uh huh. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I work with several dangerous. standard poodles as well. And yeah. no, let's just stop yeah. crossing things with poodles, first of all, because yeah. people are not understanding that they are little working dogs or big working dogs, depending on what size poodle they've picked that want to do jobs. But one of the, you know, it's kind of become this thing that I remember when I first started out as a trainer, it was all, you know, cocker spaniels can be a little bit spicy. You need to be a bit mindful. Like they won the breeds that if you were going to kind of see aggression-y stuff, they would have been on the list. Now it's cockapoos. Mm -hmm. Because for some reason, people thought adding poodling was going to, I don't know, stop them being an asshole. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and again, that's for me... Not, I mean, yes, we have. There are going to be some dogs in that mixture that, or some individual dogs that might be problematic. But yeah, I mean, I'm not too, you know, I'm not like harping on any kind of doodles or, because I don't think we need to at this point. I think the biggest, the the, the step back and look at the the big pictures that yeah. were, we've got dogs that are significantly more likely to display aggression that are being mixed, you know? So those, those breeds I was talking about, because yeah. all day long, I'll take them. Well, you know, like or... with me saying, you know, that they're taking the bull breeds and putting them with the canic also and stuff. And you're like, that's yeah. That's, did we yep, need yep. to put those together. Um, also crossing things with Malinois, like just stop it. Stop crossing things with Malinois. Stop crossing things with German shepherds. No one needs to, mess about with that genetics like unless unless they have like i said really good like if you find a german shepherd that's got the line of great behavior and no behavior issues but the thing is then... that let's keep that and then we can cross that with another dog that has plenty of history of yes you know, well-established behaviors good health i'm okay with that I'm totally okay with that because remember it's the individual and then you know you could find a good german shepherd somebody that knows german shepherds that has the, the access to the stock and within a few generations we'd never see another behavior issue again because mm -hmm. of, you know if if they're selected for it, where well, i shouldn't say never but we're going to see a much less likelihood 
much less frequency of it Mm -hmm. because the problem now is that nobody's i shouldn't say nobody but much of the consideration is not around the behavior the potential behavior issues so that's the issue of the breeding programs i think the other flip on it as well is that people that are deliberately breeding for and i'm not talking sports now i'm talking protection dogs because Mm -hmm. this is something that's rising in the uk and i know you get this a lot in the states that people are breeding and selling protection dogs but they're being peddled as a pet that's going to the dog cannot do both of those things it cannot be a pet dog that's going to let grandma in the house Mm -hmm. And then also expect to know if that's a bad guy. Like, what happens if, I don't know, great aunt Maud stays for the weekend and gets up at three in the morning to get a glass of water? Like, how's the dog meant to know that it's a burglar or great aunt Maud? Yeah, it, well, it, you know, it's a good protection trainer. And when I say good, somebody that knows what they're doing and that has a lot of experience uh, training protection dogs and what kind of protection training it is mm-hmm. can, can teach a dog to distinguish those true threats versus grandma or even somebody that's delivering a package that's a complete stranger to the dog as a threat so it can yeah. be done but but you know it's most of the time it's not you know so you have a lot of people that think they know what they're doing they're hobby trainers or maybe they're they want to get into it and that's where the problems can occur for me so mm-hmm. there are protection trainers there, there's some really wonderful you know and to the to the breeders and the trainers that are doing things well and properly and ethically mm-hmm. we thank you and yes. people that are just dabbling just fuck off and stop doing it <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah or learn or just shadow those people that do know before you start actually breeding your own dogs and trying to do it exactly that yeah 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 right michael i'm very mindful of your time because i know you've got a busy day and i appreciate you've fitted me into your schedule um thank you so much for joining me where can people find you if they're trainers and want to know more about the courses you do or if they're an owner and maybe they are struggling with a dog with big emotions yeah yeah the easiest place to find me is aggressivedog.com it's uh, where everything i have is listed and you can find uh, links for everything whether it's the master course or the webinars i offer or the conference uh, Mm -hmm. the bitey end of the dog podcast you can find that there's where all these articles uh, tons of free resources and as, as well as other uh, types of courses you can take to learn more so yeah just head on over to that one location you'll find everything else i offer amazing thank you so much so guys as always um you can follow us on the social medias um on the insta the facebook the tiktok um at dodge shepherd if you want to follow the creature on the insta and until next time stay safe be kind wash your hands thoroughly keep your dogs on lead around livestock and don't let them lick toads take care guys bye just wanted to ask you a real quick favor if you could rate review and subscribe to the podcast it's going to help other people find me and listen to what i'm doing here at canine hoopers world we're now on all the socials so we have the instagram we have the facebook and we are officially on the tiktok at canine hoopers world and remember to check out our website, www.k9peoplesworld.com, where you can find out information on in-person courses, online courses. And if you're doing hoopers with your dog, you can also join in with our online achievement awards. These are open to any person, any dog, anywhere in the world to come and test your skills and get yourself a cool ribbon. 